It is not good to be alone. That is how our passage opens today. The setting is beautiful. Every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, pristine rivers flowing through the Garden of Eden, and one human being there to enjoy it all. But one human being, just one, and it was not good to be alone. And so the work of creation continued with the intent of creating a partner, a companion for the first human in the garden, someone with whom to find connection and the first step toward community. But before we can begin to look at this text today, I have to first pause and wonder how we may have heard this text used in the past. It is not good to be alone, but has the misuse or possible misconstrual of this passage ever caused estrangement and harm? It is not good to be alone, but has this very text been misconstrued to alienate, isolate, or treat someone as the, the other? Has this text ever been used to say that some of God's people are less than others, even when this beautiful story tells of the intentional, careful work of God's creative hands in forming each person mentioned here? Has this text ever been used to isolate on the basis of gender, even when it shows a beautiful story of the origins of gender. The first human referenced in this story was called Adam. There's actually a word play that's happening in the Hebrew text here because Adam was formed from the Adama, the earth. Some suggest that we should call that first person earthling, made from the earth, or maybe human, made from the humus, the soil. Some scholars argue that we might even think of that first person as androgynous, or an individual whose identity was inclusive of all genders. It was not until after the human was put to sleep for a surgical procedure to be carried out by the divine that we then hear the words ish, man, and isha, woman. One of these two humans was called a helper, and even that title falls harshly on our modern ears sometimes. In the Old Testament, a helper is not a subordinate, but an equal, or sometimes even a superior. In fact, God is often called a helper to humans in need. 
My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. God is your help and your shield. But surely God is my helper. God is the helper of the orphan. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. God, the help of Israel, has the power and ability to offer help. God, our our helper, our collective helper, has the agency and volition to assist. God, our help in ages past, has the compassion and the desire to offer help to those who need it. Has this text been used to relegate women to a narrowly defined role of helper, even when the God of all creation is often depicted as helper? It's not good to be alone, but has this very text been misused to create alienation? Has this text been used against non-binary individuals even when this passage introduces the beauty of gender diversity, showing the value and joy of more than just one expression of gender in the realm of God's good creation? Has this text been used against the LGBTQ plus community trying to legislate away the possibility of marriage for some, even when this text sings a joyful song of the beauty of finding deep and true covenantal connection with another person? Or has this text been used against single people as if to say that marriage is the only way to live? when in fact we know that not all people are called to marriage and many people live beautiful lives as single people who are fully complete just as God created them. It's not good to be alone. But has this very text been used to isolate and alienate? Alienation on the basis of gender or identity or religion or politics can be seen in many different places at many different times. But the true gift of community calls us away from alienation and toward meaningful connections with others. Copenhagen, Denmark has many public libraries where you can check out books. But it also has one special library, a human library, where instead of reading a story in book form, you hear directly from a person. Each day there are eight books, eight people who are willing to tell their life stories, 
And for 30 minutes, you can ask anything you want, either in a one-on-one -on -one meeting or as part of a small group. The project's initiator, Roni Abergall, explains that the human library is a safe place where we can explore diversity, learn about the ways in which we're different from each other, and engage with people we normally would never meet and challenge our unconscious bias. Abergall created the Living Library in the year 2000 and then went on to build a nonprofit organization and the concept has since found its way into more than 70 different countries. A reading is truly a conversation. And so a person might take a few minutes to explain their topic, their background, and make sure that you can ask that person anything about, for example, being HIV positive or transgender or a refugee or a Jewish or Muslim or whatever their topic may be, whatever their life story might include, whatever they would be willing to share. People are encouraged to ask really difficult questions, stressing that nothing is off limits. And people who meet with individuals, who read a human book, can sometimes choose among the different titles that that individual would offer. One person, for example, has several different titles, which include living with borderline personality disorder or severe post-traumatic stress disorder. This one individual who volunteers for this project said that she has, on occasion, refused to answer questions I've said that page wasn't written yet. And so the other person smiled and said, okay. But she had never had a bad experience in her four years of working to, with this program. One of those loaning a book is a 41-year-old named Kerem. To see the person and listen to him or her and see their perspective, the whole story that is almost unfolding in front of you is very touching, he says. It lets people see that at the end of the day, we are a lot of titles, but the same flesh and blood and bones. It sounds a bit reminiscent of the joyful exclamation in today's scripture passage. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. A connection, an understanding, a sense of shared humanity, a conversation partner. In today's story, we see that creation is not complete until there is more than one person. 
And so now it is built into our DNA, our very nature, that there be the possibility for connection with others. We were created for relationship. We were created for community. God knew it was not right for us to be alone. And through Jesus Christ, God entered into human relationship with us because we are created for community. It is not right for us to be alone. We are allowed to form long-term relationships, deep friendships, lasting connections with others. Of course, there is value in solitude. We know that Jesus gave us an example of withdrawing to a quiet place alone for meditation and prayer and silence. And any of us might fall in a various place on the spectrum of introvert to extrovert, drawing, time, or drawing energy from time alone or drawing energy from time with others. But whatever our own situation might be, God wants to offer connection, meaningful connection with others, conversation partners, companionship, community. And so although this text begins with loneliness, it ends with sincere companionship. We are called again to community, to connection with others. Our triune God in whose very being we see the presence of community. God invites us again to true connection with others where we celebrate our shared humanity and rejoice in the community that God has given us. Thanks be to God for this great gift. Amen.